This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert, caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or 10 months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning, and welcome to your radio doctor. As always, we thank you for sharing your Sunday morning. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Today, we begin a two-part series addressing the current national opioid epidemic. This week, we focus on the definition of an opioid drug how the crisis came about, and how you might recognize opioid use disorder in a family member or friend. Next week, learn about available treatment options, including counseling and medications. And our guest is and will be Dr. Denny Carice, Chief Clinical Officer from Recovery Centers of America. First, we begin with news from Independence Blue Cross, one of the nation's largest health insurers. But Independence is more than just a health insurance company. It's a pillar of support for the people of Philadelphia and Southeast Pennsylvania. Countless programs in partnership with the city of Philadelphia, hospitals, universities. And this year marks the 10 year anniversary of the Independence Foundation, which provides funding for community organizations dedicated to improving the health and well being of the community through leadership collaboration, innovation, and includes the award-winning efforts to stop opioid abuse. Joining us is the Reverend Lorena Marshall-Blake, president of the Independence Foundation. Happy anniversary and welcome, Lorena. Thank you so much, Doc. Um, I can't believe it's been 10 years, but it has. And what a magnificent history, and and you've led the charge. Tell us, Lorena, what are the key areas of focus for the foundation? Okay, the key areas of focus of, of the foundation, first, strengthening the healthcare safety net with free clinics and FQHEs, and that's really called our blue safety net. Then we have improving access to culturally competent primary care, and that is so important when we're talking about mental health, and especially as you talk about addiction services. And again, that's through our blue safety net, but also through our mental health initiative called STOP supporting treatment and overdose prevention. And then I say our sweet spot is advancing nursing education and leadership. Because you know, nurses are on the forefront and have been out there through this whole pandemic. 
through our Nurses for Tomorrow nursing, and we also have a nursing internship program. And then finally, but certainly not least, nonprofit sustainability uh, through targeted funding and nonprofit education. So nonprofits are key to the community along with our safety nets. So those are our four areas of focus where we are at this point. And I know when you began, the fund was about $10 million in size and it's grown to $130 million. It's really incredible what an impact you have had on the community. Lorena, I know the foundation has responded magnificently to the COVID-19 pandemic. And you, I want to remind our listeners, you're a minister your whole life. You're a woman of service. How has the faith community responded to help educate the members of the community about vaccines. You've joined with faith leaders across the city in a campaign to increase vaccinations. Yes, it's called the All Faith Vaccination Campaign. And it's where you had churches from all over the city and also it's ecumenical. So whether it was the rabbi, whether it was the, the uh, whether it's the Baptist preacher, in other words, whether it's Episcopalian, all of them came together along with 50 other organizations to get the message out and the importance of getting vaccine. And especially in those areas that were hard to reach in the black and brown community. And again, it was a partnership. And I, and I think about with all the things that we do, I call them partnerships with purpose, on purpose. It's important that we come together. There are no, no egos in this at all. It's all how do we make the community better? And how do we ensure that people get their vaccine? We did it during uh, Juneteenth. And we also did it during Memorial Day weekend. And as a matter of fact, the all faith vaccine campaign is going throughout the entire summer or until the the wonderful thing would be that everybody would have their vaccine. But again, the churches, the houses of faith have been key because many are streaming, even though they aren't back in their buildings. And I know even my own church, by Memorial Baptist Church, we have held COVID testing. We have done vaccinations. We have uh, streamed information out through uh, social media. So again, people are in church every Sunday and not just Sunday. When I look at Avon Memorial Baptist Church, we are in Wednesday night prayer service. As a matter of fact, we're getting ready to do an evangelistic outreach. But with that, we're also doing vaccinations. So every opportunity to do that. And you know what? I say trusted messengers, trusted messages. And I heard something the other day, trusted venues. Churches are trusted venues. And they have people who, and they trust their pastors or their rabbi or, you know, or their imam or whoever that may be. But uh, that's been just key, I believe. And there's nothing like a common enemy to bring us together. And COVID is that unfriendly visitor that we're trying so desperately to join forces. I, I say so often to my medical colleagues, my family members and friends, if COVID doesn't humble us, I'm not sure whatever will. So access to care, your approach to that, you mentioned the blue safety net programs and you grant mm-hmm. awards to nonprofits, uh, private community health centers that provide access to health care to the medically underserved. Did right. I say that well? You said you said that absolutely correct, Doc. And, and again, for me, uh, I love quotes, so you may hear a couple of them tonight. And one of my favorite ones is the one by uh, Dr. Maya Angelou, where she said, people won't remember what you said, they won't remember what you did, but they will always remember how you made them feel. So even though you're in a situation where you may, you're ex- 
economic means may not be what others are, you still have a voice. You still count. So I believe through our blue safety net and, and also through our nursing programs, through all of our programs, ensuring the community. And that's the key. The all wanted the community matters. You make a difference. And I believe Independence Blue Cross and, and Independence Blue Cross Foundation for over 80 years, although the foundation is only 10 years old, has always demonstrated that. We are here and we don't wait for the crisis to happen. We try to be we try to be proactive on the front. You know, so again, with, with the uh, the various communities and, and the health centers, we're right in the communities. And many times people want, look, the hospitals, many of the major hospitals are closing. Hahnemann closed, okay? Uh, we're, we're actually looking at a, a particular uh, partnership right now with PHMC at Cedar Mercy Campus. But all of it is about community, community, community. And guess what? We care. And we want you to know we care. And we don't just demonstrate it. We don't just talk it. We walk it. And we also always always say, okay, I'd say I'm a mad person uh, making a difference. So that that's what we're trying to do. Lorena, in our final minute, I'd love to hear about the foundation's novel campaign called Someone You Know and how you're addressing the opioid epidemic. Okay. Uh, thanks for asking that question. Uh, we have the Someone You Know campaign, which was a public awareness campaign to help reduce the stigma of addiction. There's a stigma around the narrative so that it's not a, it is a disease, okay, as opposed to stigmatize it. We went to Harrisburg, we went to Washington, uh, the U.S. Surgeon General was part of our conference, and we launched, we have a podcast, which is in 50 states, 46 countries, and our newest initiative is work partnering with the Association for Recovery in Higher Education education to address addiction in our colleges, in St. Joe's and Temple and other colleges. And in addition to, uh, so really we've probably put almost over $3 million investment into this whole opioid epidemic. And then I want to also mention a partnership with uh, Karen Foundation, which is the largest uh, provider in the country, along with one, one ODAT, One Day at a Time, which is a community-based organization. And what they're doing, taking inner city folks out to the, actually out to the country to get away from everything. And the foundation was able to be the first dollar for the scholarship. And then Karen did a half million dollars. So they're going to do over the, the rest of the year about 20 people because you're talking almost $40,000 a person. The foundation was able to put up the first 5,000 for each person. So again, we believe in not just talking it, um, and but walking it and putting our money where where our mouth is and especially the key it's all about the community so that they can be healthier healthier and making sure that they have the opportunity to to take advantage of these programs and it's not an issue of economics so for our listeners the association for recovery and higher education provides education resources and community connections for students in recovery who are in college and you recently congrats on the Collegiate Recovery Champion Award, Lorena Marshall Blake, the Reverend Lorena Marshall Blake. Thank you so much for joining us today. I look forward to having you back and learning more of the great programs offered by Independence Blue Cross and the Foundation. God bless you for doing his work. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. And we're back on Your Radio Doctor, and we welcome Dr. Denny Carice, 
Chief Clinical Officer of Recovery Centers of America and Adjunct Assistant Cl Clinical Professor at the University of Pennsylvania Department of Psychiatry. Welcome, Danny. So good to have you back. Happy to be here. Thank you. So let's begin with some very basic terminology. What is an opioid drug? It's a great question. So an opioid drug is an narcotic analgesic. So interestingly, opioids are at least partly synthetic, meaning they have active ingredients that are molecules that are manufactured in chemical synthesis, not found in nature, like opiates, right? So common opioids are oxycontin, hydrocodone, fentanyl, and others. Um, uh, heroin is one example of an opiate. Some opioids are legal, some are illegal. And you are spending your life work helping people with substance use disorder. Um, more specifically, what drugs are in substance use disorder in general? And then maybe we can talk about opiate use disorder separately. But tell us a little bit about SUD, if you would. Sure. So substance use disorder replaces the old kind of more stigmatizing expression of addiction or drug dependence. For every drug, the same 11 questions are used to diagnose a substance use disorder as mild, moderate, severe. So there's alcohol use disorder, opioid use disorder, stimulant use disorder. So the most common, again, are so alcohol, opioids, like we discussed, heroin, fentanyl, they all have kind of a calming effect. They're prescribed when prescribed for acute pain. Stimulants like speed, amphetamine, methamphetamine, Ritalin or Adderall are the prescribed versions of those. And then the last group, sedatives, hypnotics, anxiolytics like Xanax, Valium, those are the most common. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the opioid use disorder. Um, it can mean different things in different patients, right? Oh, absolutely. So again, like I said, there's 11 symptoms that we use to diagnose any of the disorders. And if you meet criteria for two or three of them, you have a mild alcohol use disorder or a mild opioid use disorder. If you meet criteria for four, five, or six of them, you have a moderate problem. Seven or more, you have a significant problem. Um, I won't go all of, over all of them here, but they also involve misuse of prescribed opioids, including illegal opioids like heroin or fentanyl. So people always ask, what are the ways somebody misuses a prescribed opioid medication. The easiest way is taking more than prescribed or taking them more frequently. But also people sometimes crush pills and inhale them or inject them instead of swallowing them as intended. They get prescriptions from more than one place or pharmacy, which is called doctor shopping, or they use opioid meds that are not prescribed for them. Can you give our listeners a general idea of the scope and how much it has grown, the scope of the problem in our country? Sure. So it's really interesting. The U.S. actually only makes up 4.6% of the world's population, but we consume 80% of its opioids and 99% of the world's hydrocodone, which is the drug in Vicodin, right? So drug-related deaths have more than tripled between 2000 and 2020. 75% um, of people addicted to heroin say they were introduced to opioids through prescription drugs, either their own or somebody else's prescription. 94% say they transitioned to heroin because prescription opioids were more expensive. Um, but if you look at the opioid overdose deaths in particular, just opioids, in 2010, about 29,000 people in the country died of an opioid overdose. By 2019, that was 70,000. And when COVID first started in July 2020, opioid deaths increased 13% year over year so far that year already by July. So it's a significant problem in this country. And you bring up a very important point, COVID. COVID has ripples we've yet to understand or and they're continuing to come. But I guess the average listener thinks that many people get trapped by 
substance use disorder, either, and, and in this particular, an opioid uh, use disorder, because they've received prescriptions following surgery or some other kind of injury, and then it just continues, and tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, getting a prescription post-surgery or getting, um, you know, morphine right after surgery when you're still in the hospital is not really a leading way to become addicted or become dependent or develop opioid use disorder, which is the preferred term. Um, much more common is folks that are given a prescription opioid for long-term chronic pain, which they're really not meant for. And if we really look at kind of how did we get here, how did we arrive at this point in this country at this time? Time. We really know exactly how that happened. And when we look at that, we talk about the four waves, the very distinct waves that define the opioid epidemic in the U.S. So the first wave was uh, started in 1999 and went till about 2010. And that was this wave of these massive increases in prescription opioids. Um, in the late 1990s, pharmaceutical companies reassured the medical, communi uh, medical community patients wouldn't become addicted to prescription pain medication. They really had no evidence about this. Healthcare providers began to prescribe them at greater rates. Uh, drug companies spent an enormous amount marketing their opioids for every kind kind of pain. They're really attended for acute pain. They had trainings in beautiful places. Uh, they lobbied a lot of different areas and then pain became the fifth vital sign. And the reason that's important is because medical centers required to report on improvements in pain, it would lead to poor performance if their patients didn't say, yes, my pain was totally taken care of. Um, yeah. So that was and one I of the things that these health grades looked at. Yes, and I, I, I want to jump in there for just a second because I was several years into practice when this became the mantra. The, it's the fifth vital sign, temp, uh, blood pressure, you know, heartbeat, all those good things. Because in the past, we would say, give the patient an injection of Demerol every four hours as needed, or PRN is Latin for as needed. And then the, the people making these metrics, not all of the medical people, would say, well, if you want to have good ratings, don't let the medicine wear off and let the pain come back. Stay ahead of it and just give it straight every four hours or every six hours. Would you say that's a pretty good description of how it came about? Well, that's one piece of the description, but the other piece was the people that were taking medications home and getting prescribed medications. So, um, you know, for example, in 1998, one drug company spent $207 million marketing their prescription opioids, teaching doctors, oh, it's okay, they won't prescribe it, it's extended relief, it's not like an up and down, in and out of the system. If you give it to them in an ongoing way, they won't develop an addiction to it, and that was really the big part of the first wave of the problem mm. so upsetting and then i i yeah. was going through some of the information you provided and we talked about the other day the next big wave was the easier access to heroin it's cheaper it's purer and it's leading to a great increase in fatal overdoses tell us about that yeah, there were ch huge changes in heroin in the U.S. between 2010 and 2016. It increased in purity. It was lower in cost. It increased in availability. And one of the reasons for that was there, there was this whole new kind of Domino's-type delivery method. In um, early on, Colombia provided about 90% of the U.S. heroin. By 2016, Mexico's 
was providing 90% plus. Cheaper, more available, better delivery system, more people used it. And then the next wave comes in 2013 with this huge rise in the availability of synthetic opioids, illicitly manufactured fentanyl, and they just blew it apart. And fentanyl, we've used it in GI. We've changed our method of sedation uh, over the decades. But fentanyl is used for animal care, isn't it? Well, there's fentanyl, which is about 50 to 100 times stronger than morphine, and carfentanyl, which is the one, the only medical purpose is in veterinary science, is for sedating large elephants. That's about 10,000 times stronger than morphine. And that from that came the analogs, all these different analogs out there in the field that were illicitly manufactured that were just incredibly high in potency. So people are familiar with the drug morphine. 10,000 times stronger is carfentanyl. A hundred times stronger is yes. fentanyl. And, and either one, just it's just hard to even fathom. And then you said, really, there's a fourth wave because now cocaine is laced with fentanyl. Just to right. bring so a jump that, in the... Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So, so this kind of fourth wave is the lacing of cocaine and amphetamines, even marijuana um, and other drugs with fentanyl unknown to the person who's taking them. So um, these are all the analogs that are kind of coming to us and being laced into other drugs. And the day doesn't go by. We won't see in a newspaper that somebody died of using cocaine that they had no idea it was tainted with fentanyl, illicitly manufactured fentanyl. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. Danny Carice from Recovery Centers of America. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. And welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. Our guest is Dr. Denny Carice from Recovery Centers of America, and we're learning so much about the opioid epidemic in America. Denny, we talked about four waves. There was an increase in prescribing, and it was being marketed by companies that make these medications. Heroin's easier to purchase. It's cheaper. It's purer. And then synthetic opioids, that was a very clear explanation of synthetic opioids. And now we know that cocaine, which people take their chances, but every time people take a chance, they don't know if the product they're getting is laced with something else like fentanyl, and it's leading to many more deaths and and overdoses. Tell us a little bit more. What does the future look like? Where are we now? Where are we headed? Well, we've really gotten our, our hands around some parts of this crisis, so some aspects are much improved. Um, the Physician Drug Monitoring Program is now in place, and it's in place across states, so that if you get a prescription from a doctor, you used to be able to get, you know, prescriptions from 10 different doctors. Each one would write a month's supply of opioids, and you could get them filmed, filled at all different pharmacies, and no one would know. And there were people, we called them doctor shoppers, you know. Now you can't do that, because as soon as they look in the monitoring program online, they know you're, you're doing that. So that's a, that was a huge thing. Um, mm-hmm. Physicians are being educated by someone other than pharmaceutical companies on the correct treatment of pain, because people with pain deserve care and they deserve alleviation of that pain. Um, So the prescribing of opioids is going down. A lot of states and their governors, Governor Wolf and others, declared opioid problems statewide emergencies, which led to more funding. 
Um, and then also those analogs we talked about. One of the problems with the analogs was that we know what fentanyl is. Well, if you took fentanyl and then we know what carfentanil is. If you take that and you change one molecule, you add one oxygen molecule, you'll have the same effect of the drug, but it will be a different drug. So those drugs were not illegal yet because they literally didn't exist yesterday. I mean, there's 1,400 of them, and some of them don't even have names. Well, what the government's done is they've decided that anything that looks like carfentanil or fentanyl illicitly manufactured is now illegal, uh, sorry, illegal without having to prove that it's an addictive substance. And that was a very big deal. So that was great. And in some areas, the police have been a huge part of the, so the solution, acting almost like social workers. And then there was this huge expansion in virtual care or telehealth after COVID hit. So like RCA now has an online virtual community where people can get intensive outpatient treatment and other services at shoutout.com. Tell us a little bit more about um, naloxone. I know that's the antidote for uh, many of these drugs, and I'm, and I'm sure the police carry them now, yes? The police carry it. Many restaurants have it. It's in bathrooms at bars. Police, you know, social workers carry it. I carry it in my purse all the time. Anybody who's, you know, has kids should carry it. If you have kids living at home, just in case they smoke some marijuana, it's laced with fentanyl. So it really should be something that many of us have. You know, I often see patients in my office that come with belly pain or recurrent vomiting, and it's not their gallbladder. It's not a virus. It's not this or that. And all too often, especially in the past year, as you said, COVID has not been friendly. It's been a, a real um, uh, trauma for so many people. And I'm finding after we do all these tests, x-rays, endoscopies, and finding no ulcers, that they finally say, well, I do smoke marijuana, and I smoke it every day. And we know that can really irritate the GI tract. And uh, COVID has just not been very friendly and, and been so difficult for people. Um, what are some of the reasons why we're going to be troubled by this crisis for the foreseeable future? Well, like any other uh, issue, we haven't done everything right, you know. So um, whole communities have been accustomed to reaching out for prescription opioids and now heroin for any type of pain or just for pleasure. So there's this kind of feeling now that we deserve to feel happy all the time, and that just isn't life, you know. Um, West Virginia, Delaware, Maryland, Ohio, Pennsylvania, the, those are the five states with the highest death rates due to overdose. And with prescription opioids more difficult to get, depending on the state you live in, and significantly more expensive than heroin, a record 600 people a day try heroin for the first time. Every day, 600 people a day try it for the first time. Um, 80 milligrams of Oxycontin costs about $80 on the street, but you can get the same high from heroin for about 20 bucks. So we're still fighting that, you know. Um, more importantly, the synthetic opioids have been flooding in from China and from Mexico. And again, this huge problem with other drugs being tainted with these illicitly manufactured fentanyls, carfentanils, and all their analogs that can be really deadly cheaper and deadlier. And and I know you said um, that in Philadelphia, 907 deaths in 2016, and, and it just, the numbers continue to grow. They do. We had a, we had a very short 
decrease. We had one year where there was a decrease and then it just shot up again. It's really shot up since COVID and um, it actually started be right before COVID. So we don't know whether COVID made something that was kicking back in worse or um, whether it w it's going to really be a COVID issue. But people are home. They don't have folks to talk to. They, they couldn't get to their treatment programs. That's why this whole virtual care has been so important. Great point, because you can stay connected. You're separated by but physically, but not emotionally. And you have the advice. It's there. Especially Recovery Centers has a beautiful system with telehealth and telemedicine that you can stay in touch with sessions and advice and counseling. Denny, how would our listeners know to recognize opioid use disorder in a friend or family member? Yeah, so there's two things they want to look to recognize. One is opioid use or opioid use disorder, and the other is an overdose, and the symptoms are very different. So opioid use disorder, the person may be drowsy quite a bit. There's changes in their sleep habits. They'll probably lose weight. They'll be sniffling a lot, uh, lack of hygiene. They'll change their exercise habits, their friends. Uh, they'll start having new financial difficulties. They may have a lot of itching on their arms. Uh, they may steal from their family or their friends or business. Uh, and kind of frequent flu-like symptoms. Those would be signs, including the sign of what we call nodding. And nodding is when somebody kind of almost falls asleep on their feet. They're just kind of nodding their head and then they kind of wake up again. Those are the signs of the disorder. The signs of the overdose would be an extreme sleepiness or, or um, loss of consciousness, slow or no breathing, slow heartbeat, tiny pupils. That's when you really need to kick in with the... Um, with the Narcan and get him to the emergency room. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you repeated that it's Narcan, which stands for narcotic antagonist, right? I said naloxone earlier, which is the generic, but Narcan is that injection. You're right. Is there any reason why somebody would hesitate to use that? Is there any problem in, in injecting that? Like listeners, if you see somebody and you think you could save his or her life, go ahead and inject them. Right, and it's not even an injection anymore. It goes through the nostril, so it's very easy. You, oh. just, you just unwrap it, spray it in their nostril, and it immediately throws all the opioids off the receptors, and the person will go from really literally not breathing, not conscious, to wide awake, having no effects of the opioids. That one of the difficult issues with it is that when you do that, they wake up, they're, they're typically angry at you. They're angry because you messed up their even though they were overdosing and they might have died. They, they too tend to get angry. The other thing that's really important is the half-life of that drug is shorter than the half-life of some of the fentanyls and carfentanyls. That's why the person will wake up, be totally coherent. They'll stand up, start walking. You still have to take them to the emergency room because that medication will fall off the receptors while the opioids are still in their system and they can actually overdose again without taking any more opioids 20 to 30 to 50 minutes later. So in the college setting or you're trying to protect a friend's identity or, or something like that, don't think you're doing them a favor by giving them the Narcan and saying, okay, you're good now. They could rebound in a very dangerous, life-threatening way. That's a really important message. Each week, I hope that people learn one or two takeaways. That is a great one. Don't depend on one dose saving your friend or family member's life. Denny, let's revisit the whole idea of COVID and people being affected more frequently and more severely. Tell us about that a little, if you would. Yeah, it's very clear that people 
that were in early recovery really struggled during COVID, that people who were not in recovery started drinking more. Um, COVID was just not a good thing for any kind of the social ills that we see. There was more depression, there was more violence, there was more drug abuse. And so um, one of the most important things was we were lucky. We were able to transition at RCA over to virtual care or telehealth within about a week because we had already been starting to do it. So these virtual communities where people can get outpatient care, intensive outpatient care, but they also can get um, resources to talk to each other, to celebrate their anniversaries, to find meditations or links to internet meetings or virtual meetings are, have been incredibly important. And people have really thrived with the, the shoutout.com program at RCA has access to all manner of those, plus all different educational systems and all different uh, places where people chat with each other in addition to the actual treatment. So it's it's been a godsend, really. And would you say that um, you're also seeing an increase in first-time users with COVID? We're seeing an increase in first-time users, but again, we're also seeing that increase in people using, um, uh, you know, getting drugs laced with different drugs. That's what's so terrifying. Let's take a little break and we'll be back with Dr. Danny Carice. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented in part by Recovery Centers of America. When needed, call RCA 1-888-RECOVERY. And in our final segment with Dr. Danny Carice from Recovery Centers of America, we've learned so much about the opioid epidemic. Next week, we'll continue our discussion as we discuss counseling and medications for therapy. Denny, let's say there's somebody in my life, a friend, a family member, and I really want to see them get treatment, but I don't want them to get upset with me. How would I best get them into therapy? It's a, it's a great question. The first thing I would say to you is, what if they do have a problem and you don't ask? Today, that's something you could regret for the rest of your life. So it's mm-hmm. willing to worry and it's willing to take the risk that somebody will get upset. And sometimes it's as easy as a comment like, you know, I know I notice you're having trouble doing things that used to come easily to you. Is something going on? Or sometimes you list the descriptions of what you're seeing all in a kind of a non-judgmental tone. So I've noticed that you're having trouble getting to work and that you seem to be leaving often. Can you can I help you with anything? What's going on? Um, you know, things like that. Just non-confrontational. But always ask. It doesn't matter if they get mad at you. And because just the suggestion that you've noticed might open the door that they want you to open. That that. that allows them to say, hmm, there's something, there's an objective metric here that they're noticing about me, that I'm sleepy or sniffly or some of the things you mentioned with people that have the opioid use disorder, right? Yeah, sometimes people are really just waiting for somebody to kind of bring it out in the open so they can respond. And I think that we're talking about somebody who loses time out of work or they're not attentive to their family uh, responsibilities, et cetera. But the true cost, and I'm sure you always say this, it is how it affects that person in particular and all the loved ones around them. It's not the you know, time out of work or business losses. It's the person's life. And Recovery Centers does such a great job in helping people. If somebody wanted to get help from Recovery Centers of America, how would they contact you? Actually, it's very easy. They can go to www.recovery.com 
www.recoverycoa.com uh, and chat. They can call 1-800-RECOVERY and chat with people or they can, they can go to www.shoutout.com for our virtual care. Dr. Danny Carice, thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to having you back next week as we continue our discussion about the opioid epidemic in America and your beautiful work in helping so many people into recovery and continue on that good path. Have a wonderful week. We look forward to having you back again. Thank you so much. And now for your real champion. I call this segment Kira Cares. Each week, we bring you the story of a real champion, someone who's overcome a difficult challenge or does selfless work in their community. It's always uplifting to learn about the champion's generosity or kindness, but the real message is what motivates that person to climb the mountain or share the shirt off his or her back. Meet Kira Drissel. Like many of the young people we highlight, she's likable, well-rounded, a good girl, doing well in school, lots of friends, sports, hobbies. But one day, an unwelcome stranger knocked at the door, a stranger named leukemia. At first, her symptoms were vague. It took a few visits for doctors to pinpoint the enemy. Meet Jason, Kira's dad. He'll always remember the moment he heard the news. His beautiful 11-year-old daughter had her whole life ahead of her. Once the diagnosis was clear, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia scooped her up embrace the family, and infuse them all with hope. Jason finds it hard to put his emotions into words. He was so overwhelmed by the support of the doctors, nurses, staff, that after only a few days, his knee-jerk reaction was, how can we give back? Well, another parent who made a cancer journey with her son knew exactly how he felt and said, focus on Kira for now. There will be a time and place for you to help others. Then Kira began her journey the hospital, needles. She even had chemo infused into her spinal canal. And at one point, she had an anaphylactic reaction. That's a life-threatening allergic reaction to a medication. Each event was a step toward the finish line, but she wasn't alone. Kira was lifted by the love, strength, and support of her parents, her brother, family, and friends. At one point, Kira developed headaches and blurry vision. The MRI showed a leukemic sac causing pressure on her eye later a blood clot in her brain. Jason recounts that the doctor apologized and explained there had been a complication. But Jason responded with gratitude. The doctors had outlined treatment plans and set expectations from the start. He said, doctor, I'm sure you've seen this before. I have full confidence you're prepared to treat it. As a physician, I was moved by Jason's response. Jason and his wife, Terry, were impressed by the doctor's honesty and became members of the team. The doctors and nurses gave them the gift of hope. Two years have passed since her last treatment. Now, at 14 years old, Kira just graduated eighth grade as student council president, captain of field hockey team, and she dances every day. So when she's called for Dancing with the Stars, she'll be ready for ballet, hip-hop, tap. And did I mention she's headed to summer camp with River Dance to shine as an Irish dancer? Look out, Satterton High School. At one point, Kira had a port. That's a large IV line used to infuse chemo and medications in patients with long-term therapies. The Kira Cares Foundation makes port pillows, a soft cushion to rest between the sensitive spot where the tube enters your skin and the pressure of a seatbelt. Kids and adults with cancer will have a more comfortable ride in the car. 
Kira's wish is that all people can be happy. She's a very caring person who wants for all people and animals to be happy and safe. And someday she wants to be an oncology nurse. Kira is a dear, brave girl who understands the value of gratitude in no small part because she learned it from her sweet parents, Jason and Terry. We salute you, Kira, Jason, and Terry Dressel, your real champions. Visit the Kira Cares Foundation on Facebook and help kids with cancer. That's Kira, K-E-I-R-A, Cares, K-A-R-E-S. Tune in next week as we continue our conversation with Dr. Denny Carice from Recovery Centers of America. Learn about treatment options for patients struggling with opioid addiction. Listen to today's show again and all of our shows and our champion segments on yourradiodoctor.net. Send us a story of a real champion in your world to info at yourradiodoctor.com. We'd also like to hear your questions about medical conditions, treatments. Ladies, come to Jefferson for our Pink Plus program. Get two or three cancer screenings in one visit. You can have mammogram plus a routine gynecology exam and a visit with a GI doctor to discuss colon cancer screening or mammogram and GI visit. That's two or three cancer screenings in one visit. Call 215-503-1631, 215-503-1631. It's National Ice Cream Month, celebrated each year in the U.S. on the third Sunday in July. That's today. So get yourself a bowl of mint chocolate chip and mix it with another fantastic American icon, Frank Sinatra. Stay tuned for two delicious hours with Sid Mark and the Sounds of Sinatra. Join us again tonight for Women to Watch at 7 o'clock on WPHT and hear my Health Watch segment. This is Dr. Marianne Ritchie, your radio doctor, here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.